Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Praise the Lord. My name is Jacob, and welcome to Scripture Unleashed. I'm here with Joe. Praise the Lord. Seth. Praise the Lord. And Anthony. Hey, hey. If you're not familiar, Scripture Unleashed is a podcast devoted to following the Bread Bible chart. We go through each week and pull out interesting topics that we find in each week's reading to kind of help you understand what it is that you're about to read to maybe know more about specific topics in there. Uh, and in this week's episode, we will be going through Ephesians chapters 1 through 6, 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 12, and Psalms 51 through 54. Now, please remember that if your pastor teaches on topics of conviction differently than the one you hear in today's episode, you need to listen to your pastor. If your pastor teaches differently than what the Bible teaches, you know what to do there. We're going to start off today, uh, starting in the book of Ephesians in this first half. Uh, there's quite a bit here, so we're going to try to get through it. Not too quickly, because we don't want to rush some important topics, but quickly enough to get into the Old Testament reading that we'll be reading this week. But Joe, you have something there in Ephesians. One of the things I noticed in the book of Ephesians that comes out a couple times is the Apostle Paul talks about a mystery several times, a mystery that wasn't known at one time, but has been made known. Like, for example, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather in together, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And then if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so there's a, there's a mystery that uh, at one time was not uh, known to the prophets, wasn't known uh, to the, uh, the holy men of old. Even uh, Peter, I'm just going to read a quick scripture in the book of First Peter chapter 1. Peter addressed this as well when he said, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but as unto they us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. This mystery, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about it in Ephesians. Peter talked about it in First Peter chapter 1. This was a mystery that even the angels desire to look into. And again, this mystery wasn't known at one time. It was prophesied about, but it wasn't known. But it's made known unto us now. If you look at what this mystery is, 
in chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Just highlighting a couple scriptures in this chapter. Uh, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, isn't that true? If you're without yeah. God, there is no mm-hmm. hope. Having no hope, mm-hmm. being without hope, uh, being without God in the world. Uh, verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then one more scripture, Ephesians 3, verse 6. This is the mystery summed up in one verse, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. In the Old Testament, the Gentiles were not God's people. They were considered unclean. Mm -hmm. But in the New Testament, God made a mystery known to us. And Paul said, whereof he is now a minister. And he was the, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, the mystery is that we could be fellow citizens with the household of God uh, and the saints in the household of God. When we were yet dead in our sins, the Spirit of God uh, quickened us and brought us to life and raised us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. that That's the will of God, according to the will of God, like Ephesians chapter 1 says. I'm thankful that the, that the mystery's been made known unto us. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, this kind of flowing into what Seth's about to talk about here, when John is recording this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Now, this is, a, this is a phrase that actually the Jews would use when talking about Gentiles receiving salvation, is that they had to be born again into the Jewish faith. Basically, they would be washed, cleansed, and become a Jew, as it were. And that was like how they believed that Gentiles could be saved. And so for Jesus to tell a Jewish rabbi, you have to be born again, was so countercultural. But what Jesus was saying is really, you know, obviously we understand that is baptism in water and in the spirit. But really it's, it's putting on a new man. Right. It's changing who we are, going from, as it were, Gentile to Jew. In this case, it's going from a follower of the world to a follower of Christ. You know, taking it from there is, uh, if you read on in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus does say to Nicodemus and to the rest of everyone, to every person after that, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. You know, and so after you're born again, Paul writes to the church here in Ephesians. And, uh, you know, he's talking about uh, the walk of a believer as a new man in Jesus Christ. And if you look in Ephesians 4, 21, if, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in, is in Jesus, 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, a lot of people will stop right there. They just stop. So you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. They're like, what does that mean? Well, you know, we're, we're Pentecostal. That means we, we, we pray, in, pray in the Holy Ghost more 
And that's how we're renewed in our mind. Though praying in the Holy Ghost does help us. Jude 20, you know, we build up ourselves in the most holy faith. 1 Corinthians uh, 14 talks about praying in the Spirit. Or 12 and 14, I think it's 14. Uh, praying in the Spirit, you build up yourself. You know, you're talking to you and God. You know, you're building yourself up, praying in the Holy Ghost. Um, when you're praying in, in the Spirit, praying in tongues. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he tells us how to do that right after that. It's a very practical thing. It's not just praying in tongues, though that's good. It's not just that. That's not how you just be renewed in, your, in your, the spirit of your mind. Verse 24 says that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're putting off that old man, now we're putting on the new man. How do we do that? How are we renewed in the spirit of our mind? Well, Paul says in verse 25, and he has this whole list, if you read on through there, verse 25, wherefore, or because of this, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one uh, of another. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him steal, or let him that stole steal no more. You know, uh, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And he just goes on and on. And grieve not the Holy Spirit. 31, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you, uh, be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, uh, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It goes on into Ephesians 5. This is how uh, you put off that old lifestyle, that old man, this is how you're renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is how you put on the new man. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be their followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Verse 3. Uh, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. And you could just keep going. But it finally, it seems like he interjects some other thoughts. And then finally you get down to about verse um, 19. Chapter 5, verses 19, 20, 21. Paul says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is how you do it. You, It's, it's not by somehow you're just going to click over in your brain and become a new person and be renewed. No, it's you You do these things. Remember, you work out your salvation. Mm -hmm. You work it out outwardly. It's God that works in you, the Bible says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But uh, right there it says, work out your own salvation. And that's what it is. We work it out on the outside. God's working it on the inside. We work it out on the outside. And that's how we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. We become, we build, it seems like we build Christian habits. We build Christ-like habits, and we are renewed through that. Yeah. Right. Amen. You know, sometimes people may may think that that's <clears throat> backwards, and we understand that at some point it's not just, you know, it can't just be an action. It's got to be from the heart. But if you have trouble with your mind or whatever, e even if you don't feel like it, just start doing what's right. And eventually, eventually your mind will catch up. Like Seth said, you start forming good habits. You know, I have formed habits in my life, some good, maybe some bad. We are, we are creatures of habit. And like there's just some things that I don't do as a Christian, like, for example, swearing. 
like that's just a habit that I have and and everyone on this podcast has is we don't swear. Like that's a habit that we have. Like that that was a habit that was made. Uh one thing I noticed actually one of the scriptures that you had read, Seth, was Ephesians four thirty. And it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And it kind of made me think back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And it says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What Paul is saying there is that the Holy Ghost that we have inside of us is, if any of you have tried to go buy a house at some point in time, any of you listeners or even you guys here, any time that you go to start a contract for a new house, you always have to put down what's called an earnest check, mm-hmm. an earnest money. Mm-hmm. And this is what God is doing when he fills us with the Holy Ghost. He's giving us an earnest check that says, you know, I'm going to pay in full what it is. You know, I'm going to buy this in full, so to speak. So when it says there in in Ephesians 4.30, it says, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Going back to chapter 1, he's talking about the same thing. The Holy Ghost is our down payment, if you will, for our soul. It's the down payment for our salvation. Right. With that, we're going to go on to the next topic. Brother Seth, you have something in the book of Ephesians about one Lord. What's that all about? No. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> this is like beating up the, the punching bag dummy. You know, just, but um, yeah, Ephesians chapter four, <laughs> we can start in verse four. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called and one hope of your calling. Kind of tying back into Joe, there's one body. You know, we're, we're grafted in, yeah. Paul says in another place. Um, but then it says this in verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, in you all. Amen. Amen. And, and we, we believe Amen. that there is just one God and that Jesus Christ is that one God manifest in the flesh or revealed in the flesh. He is the yes. almighty Father in the flesh. Amen. Um, the Almighty God come in the flesh. And so when the Bible says there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and that literally, like, let's break that down. One Lord means that there is, even in the Greek, one Lord, all that means is one Lord, okay? Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to have to look this up in the Greek. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's getting complicated. Even in the Greek, one faith, all that means literally is there is one way to believe to be saved. There's one faith. Yes. There's not yep. several different roads yep. mm-hmm. to be saved. There is one plan of salvation. Then there is one baptism. Okay? This is not talking about spirit baptism. This is talking about water baptism. There's only one way to be baptized. Okay? And that is in the name of Jesus in water, immersed in that water with the name of Jesus called over you. Um, that's the only way you'll find it ever done in the scriptures where it is recorded how it was done, uh, you know, as far as Jesus was baptized, you know, but they didn't say what name was called over him. Every other time in the book of Acts, someone is baptized, it's in the name of Jesus or with the name of Jesus called over them. And then verse five, there's one God, 
and father of all. So we have one God, and he's the father of all. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfect time with 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Well, now, unto us there is but what? One God who? The Father. That's who the one God is. Yep. He's the Father. That one God who is the Father, as, as uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So we have one God and Father of all who is above all. Yes, he is. And he's through all. Yes, he is. And he's in you all. But I thought we received the Holy Spirit. Well, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is <laughs> the the one God. He is the Father. So the Holy Spirit yes. and the Father are the exact same yes. Spirit. If you want to get uh, some Trinitarian terminology, they're the exact same person. They're not two separate persons. They're the one and self same person. And then uh, Jesus Christ is that one God manifest in the flesh. Well, and it's kind of interesting there in, in right at the beginning of verse 6 there, it says, one God and Father of all, meaning that is the, the one God is father of all, meaning that you can't have, it's not yeah. a part of that right. God mm -hmm. that's the father. Yeah. It's all of yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, one one interesting podcast that I just listened to the other day is uh, Brother L.J. Harry's uh, Simplify podcast, episode number 56. It talks about tough questions to ask about God. And it's his question is, is there really only one way to God? It was a fantastic episode. If you listeners jump over there to the Simplify podcast and listen to that yeah, when you're done with this one. obviously when you're done with this uh, one. <laughs> yeah, when you're done with this one. Wait till you're done. <laughs> yeah, after you're done. <laughs> but, you know, that that is something really that we have to understand as Christians is there is only one way. And we have to make that known. We have to point that out. There is only one. Right. Only yes. one you know, absolutely. I, I would point out in verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the spirit is different than the spirit of unity. For example, what this mm -hmm. what what yeah. this looks like that doesn't Boy. mean that that we're in unity with every religious body. That means that we all need to come into the unity of the spirit, which is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, which would mean we would come to the same faith <laughs> that we believe in the the, the one Lord. Uh, the one God, Father of all. We believe yeah. in that one baptism. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit is not the Spirit of unity. Like, we just have this Spirit that we're just in unity with everyone. It's like, no, you know, we uh, we are, uh, if you, you know, if you believe the, the same message we believe, we're in unity. That's keeping yeah. the unity of the Spirit. Yeah, amen. And so far, our last topic in this section, we're going to talk a little bit about... The fivefold ministry uh, that we see in chapter four. We're doing a lot out of chapter four. This is a really good chapter. Chapter yeah. four, verses eleven and twelve. I can can we include thirteen, please? And he gave. All right. Okay. Thank we you. Thank you. Thirteen. <laughs> and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Can we Christ. throw like 14 and 15 uh, and 16? Probably <laughs> just it's read the rest of the phenomenal. chapter. <laughs> it, is, man, it is phenomenal. It is. Yes, it, it is, is the word of God. Phenomenal chapter. <laughs> Everything about it. For me personally, there's something that I, I really wanted to point out. And, and I ask you guys, correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. Um, but verse 
Okay. Well, we'll just move on from this now. <laughs> Verse 12. Uh, Verse 12. I'm, I'm really one into progressions. Um, when Christ talks about the, or, you know, the, the law talks about you need to love God with all your mind, your, uh, your soul, your strength. Um, there's a progression there. Uh, it starts in the inside and works its way out kind of thing. Um, but here in verse 12, to me, there seems to be a progression. And I might be wrong, but it seems to me that the fivefold ministry is given to the perfecting of the saints. It's given to perfect the saints who the saints in turn do the work right. of ministry in order that the whole church be built up. It's not, it's not the fivefold ministry's job to do just the work of the ministry and to edify the body of Christ. Yes, they do that. That's part of their ministry, but it's not entirely part of their ministry. Right. Their ministry is to perfect the saints, to equip, to strengthen the saints, to then go do the work and yeah. build the church. No, no, Am I, I wrong? think you're correct. I think you get Yeah, that, to me, that's how that, it just seems, because yeah. that four there. For the, so he gave some apostles for the perfecting <clears throat> of the saints, okay? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Each thing before is what is done for the one after. Yeah, that makes sense. no, that's so, always so how I've read those verses. So you're saying, um, <clears throat> so the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are for the perfecting of the saints, which is in turn for the work of the ministry. So the saints are being perfected for the work of the ministry. To do yes. the ministry, yes. For the edifying that's, of the body that's of Christ. That's how yeah. I, I just, I've, I've, you know, I've heard it taught, preached by some very, very well-known preachers that it's the fivefold ministry does each one of those. You could kind of see that with the punctuation that they used as the translators, too, because that semicolon and then commas after mm -hmm. makes it into a list yeah. kind of thing. But I feel, you know, there weren't, yeah. there weren't these semicolons and commas in, in Greek. I think it's in accordance with one another, whether, however, which way you decide to apply yeah. it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with you saying it, it. It comes to fruition, I guess, in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And just kind of keeps going and, and building. Yeah, the New so, English translation so, yeah, says it like absolutely. this. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ. So at least that translation follows. Yeah, if you're liberal, then uh, you go right ahead and follow that. I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. <laughs> um, I'm totally kidding. I, I agree. Wow. I agree fully. Um, it's very interesting to, ver uh, to me in verse 13 is – it, well, if you look at verse 12, it says, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And so many times we view the ministry as like the preaching ministry or the teaching. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's bigger than that. For the perfecting of the saints for the work yeah. of serving. That's yes. what ministry is, is being a servant. Yeah. So it's more than just preaching the word. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's for the edifying. So all these are given for the edifying of the body of Christ as well. The body of Christ. Whose body? Okay. And then verse 13, uh, it kind of paints this picture, if you can't imagine with me for just a minute, till we all come in the unity of the faith, till we're all, all of us come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, get this. The body has come together. They're forming unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature, the fullness yeah. of Christ. So I think this is individually and corporately hmm. as well. It's not just saying it's it's yeah. for you as an individual. You need to be a perfect yeah. man. That means mature 
in Christ Jesus, and I believe you can be, you can walk above sin in that sense. You can be perfect too uh, through the power of the Holy Ghost, yep. um, and you can measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. But I think it's also saying that the body of Christ, all of us together, when we come together in unity, when we come together edified, uh, that we we form that perfect man, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ to the world. We're Christ to this world when we are together, when we're perfected, when we're in the unity mm-hmm. of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I actually. Absolutely. I verse 16 actually kind of follows suit with that. It says from, yes. from whom the whole body yeah. joined together. It really, mm-hmm. that seems to be where Paul is going with that, with that thought there. We're just, we're all just part of the church. We're all just little snippets. Little cells. Of Christ Jesus, yeah, we're just little cells in this huge work of God, and of right. course, exemplified as Jesus yeah. Christ. All right, listeners, thank you for listening this far. We're going to go to a quick ad break, and we'll be right back after this. And we're back, brother Joe. You got something about the voice of certainly. And this, we are now in the book of First Samuel. Of course, Samuel <laughs> is born to Hannah, who was not able to have children, and she made a vow to the Lord. That if he would give her a man-child, that she would dedicate him to the Lord all the days of his life. He would serve in the temple. And where we pick up the story, talking about the voice of God, is First Samuel chapter 3. Samuel is now in the temple, just to give you a little background as to what happened here. Samuel is in the temple. He's ministering unto the Lord before Eli, who is the priest in the temple. And the Bible says that... Uh, Samuel was laid down to sleep in verse 3, verse 4, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and laid down. And we see this happened again. And again, Samuel rose, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, you called me. And he answered, and he said, I didn't call you, lie down again. And then again, this happened And the Bible says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And the third time Samuel went to Eli, and Eli told him, go lie down, and if you hear this call again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. What we like to point out is, a lot of times the voice of God in your life is going to sound like a trusted, familiar, godly man in your life. Or a woman. It could be a woman, too. Mm -hmm. Samuel heard the voice of God, and he thought that it was Eli. You know, did did Mm. God call to him in a voice that sounded like Eli? (laughs) Maybe. You know, I don't know that. But but whatever it was, Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. I don't know if this is exactly, uh, Seth, what's the word, exegetical preaching? (laughs) Is that what? Yeah, where you withdraw the meaning from the Right, I don't know if this is exactly that, and and I believe, so this this disagrees with our doctrine here. (laughs) But the voice of God in your life, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, is going to sound like the person that you're used to hearing preach. You can get so used to hearing that, that you miss the voice of God or you don't recognize the voice of God because you're so used to hearing Mm -hmm. your pastor preach that you don't even recognize when God's speaking to you. 
you know, you guys might not really agree with me here, but like just because the pastor says it, that that's not necessarily God speaking. But if he's preaching the word of God and if he's anointed by the Holy Ghost and he is preaching and he speaks a word to you, that is the, that is the, the voice of God in your life. You know, Samuel, he believed that it was Eli that was speaking to him. Yeah, I know that's something that's always jumped out to me. You know, I, I remember there was a time when I was younger, my my mom was wanting to move to Bismarck. And uh, at this time, I was living with my grandparents, and my thought was, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move with my mom. I'm gonna go down and live with her, you know, live there, go to the Bismarck Church and all that. And and I remember talking to my pastor about that, and he said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that'd be, that would be good. And thank the Lord, I recognized that really it was God right. telling me, you know, don't yep. through my pastor. And it mm -hmm. kept me from going down. Yeah. Who knows what kind of what I would have went down had I moved there. Now she ended up not even moving there. But I thought of it more like God was kind of testing. Like, are you willing to to listen to what I have to say through this man? You know, even though it goes against what you want to do, even though it, you know goes against your hopes, your dreams. Are you willing yeah. to listen, kind of thing? I, I fully believe in having a pastor. God expects us to use our head too. You know, and so a lot of times, what our pastor will do. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. or like with you know with me a couple times it would just be like so what do you think about it but god expects us to to use our head too and wisdom but boy the voice of your pastor in your life is so important well one thing i noticed is that in verse 9 and 10 right eli you know samuel comes to eli for the last time he tells him go lie down and to and to say to say to the lord say speak lord for thy servant heareth so samuel goes and lays back down but what does Samuel say? He doesn't say, speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Mm. He just says, speak for thy servant here. Mm. It kind of makes me think, like, you know, there's no script when talking to God. I realize we're kind of, this is kind of a different direction with this, but there's no script when talking to God. Yes, we need to have reverence for him. We need to understand that we're speaking to the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But quoting a memorized prayer does not allow for a true communion, a communication with God. You know, if all you're doing is just rattling off the Lord's Prayer, and don't get me wrong, it's Scripture, so it's it's powerful in and of itself. But if all you're doing is just rattling off the Lord's Prayer, or if all you're doing is just rattling off this, this written-down sheet that you've written, and mind you, sometimes those prayers are powerful, but to do that constantly, you don't get any communion right. with God. I've seen it. I was just recently working in a denominal church. Is it Catholic? In a town east of us. No, it was Lutheran, and to be specific. And there was a prayer book, you know, and pulled it out. And there was like a prayer for peace at night or something to that effect, you know. And I just read it, and I was like, you know, the words were really powerful. I mean, it was a good prayer. But, I mean, if you're reading a prayer, I mean, is it really from your heart? And that's what the Lord wants to hear from. You know, he doesn't, yeah, you know, exactly. like, I mean, it's, it's still powerful to read the scriptures and pray the scriptures. I believe in that, but let it yes. be from the heart. You know, we have, we have other denominal people in our world who just go to church and it's very much routine. It's very much, they know when to say the right words at the right times to repeat the right things after the right sayings. And, and I guarantee you a majority of those people, it's not from the heart. And a majority of the time, it's not from the heart. And uh, that's just, it's very sad, you know, because God wants to hear right. from you.
you know, out of the abundance of the heart, yes. the mouth speaks. And yeah, that's exactly right. I was going to quote that scripture. That's awesome. Um, one thing that came to my mind while you guys were talking was, you, like you said, those are great words. Those are great prayers. That's that's kind of like going to your wife, you know, with a book of poetry and, re- yeah. and, and, and reciting it, you know, and, oh, wow, that's so lovely. That's so nice. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you're you're sharing that. But I think at some point, you want to have a real conversation. Yeah, all you're doing is just you know, for, poetry adders. You might get. I mean, if if you have no relationship other than you know, oh, hold on, let me <laughs> let me respond after mm-hmm. I quickly read this yeah. poem. <laughs> you know, I mean, you right. have some. You have a very shallow relationship. Yeah. Like like you know, it would, it wouldn't be bad to start with that. It, it wouldn't be bad to quote scripture uh, to begin with. But um, that's just an example. That's just a basis, kind of like what you guys said. Our Father who art yeah. in heaven. That was for an yep. example. Yes, yep. exactly. Mm. Anthony, you want to talk about Psalm 51 here real quick? Yes, in Psalm 51, it's probably one of David's most famous psalms. Uh, besides, I suppose, Psalms 23 would be maybe the, the most mm-hmm. famous. Psalms 51, just as a backdrop for the listener, I'm sure you all know this anyway, but there's an incident in David's life, which I would imagine that he looked back on with great shame, uh, with great regret. But there, there was a righteous man, a good soldier, Uriah the Hittite. Um, he had a wife named Bathsheba. Long story short, David desired Bathsheba. He longed for her. He did some very wicked and uh, evil things to to take Bathsheba mm-hmm. for his own life and for his own lust. And this, of course, was not pleasing to God at all. God hated that, and of course God had thought of David as a man after God's own heart, as the word records. David prays a prayer of repentance, and Psalms 51 is basically that prayer uh, written out. There's definitely some highlights there. For me, one of my favorite verses is, is 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me continues restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit Um, that's 51 10 through 12 just a powerful prayer I I just love how it's recorded there you you can just go on and on about uh, just the passion and emotion that David must have felt when he wrote it you know obviously in that state of repentance and laying that out, you know, making it a song, making it, you know, a public expression, mm-hmm. you know, wow, the king yeah. of Israel is, is repentant. The king of Israel, the king of, of all of Israel made a mistake and he admitted it. And now he's laying it open and, and he's singing of, the Lord's mercy in his life. It's just powerful. It's absolutely yeah. awesome. Verses, verse, verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Just just phenomenal psalm absolutely. in Scripture. Yeah. Uh, well, just one thing that you know, like to point out is this, that, like you were saying, Anthony, this is a very powerful prayer. You know, I, I've... I've at times, you know, used this prayer for my own repentance. But then there's been times where, you know, you get into that rhythm of like every time you repent, you go to Psalm 51. 
and then it loses its power. You don't get that same effect about, you know, yeah. reading a script, so to speak, to talk with God. But yeah, this, this is a very powerful prayer and can be used, just speaking it as scripture can often, you know, lead you into repentance. Right. I was going to, I was going to tack on to what Anthony said in our conversation previous, you know, I've used it in, in repentance. You know, when I'm praying, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll pray Psalm 51 because it is, it is powerful. And again, the same, yeah, it can lose its, yeah. its uh, not that the word of God is never not powerful, but I think we all know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It loses kind yeah. of its, its uh, freshness. It loses its, its sense of meaning almost, you know, if you just, it becomes almost vain repetition if you just do it every, you know, but uh, you know, I've yeah. used it in repentance and, and uh, it's, it's a powerful prayer of repentance that you can take and apply to your life. And I mean, you know, create in me a clean heart, oh God, you know, renew a right spirit within me. I mean, how many times have we, we all been there where we've failed God, you know, where we've, you know, we've done something, we, we haven't walked in the spirit as we should. And then how many times have we all thought of Psalm 51? So again, don't, yeah. don't just to the listener, if you've never prayed Psalm 51 in your time of prayer and repenting. <laughs> it's powerful. Use it. it we're, is. We weren't, you know, yeah. we were not saying don't use it. Yeah. You know, don't ever read a prayer that someone else has written, but uh, just use it when it, you know, when you need it, when it's, when it's going to be effective, you know, because you yeah. know what I mean? But. Yes. I guess our last topic, we're going to kind of jump back into Samuel, uh, Samuel, first Samuel chapter eight. And also prior to that, talking about Eli and Samuel's children. Anthony, you want to take that away? Samuel and Eli were very different judges with very different reputations. Um, but at the same time, they had a very similar problem. They weren't able to pass down what was their values, their belief, that one Lord, that one faith that we talked about earlier. They were unable to bridge the gap into the next generation with their mm -hmm. sons. Eli, we first read about his sons, I, I believe, chapter in chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They didn't even know the Lord. And then, of course, I've looked up Belial a little bit. And, of course, the word always uh, equates that to uh, like devil worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's iniquity. It's they personify lewdness, lust, immorality, idol worship. One translation of Belial would be wicked or worthless. Mm -hmm. So here, Eli's sons were wicked <laughs> yeah. and worthless. They were committing adultery with uh, some of the women outside the mm -hmm. temple. Just a, just a terrible situation. And Eli, he he questioned them in verse. If you read that in your bread, there it says. He says in verse 23 of the same chapter, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. I don't know about you, but I guess if that was my son's, I wouldn't just be asking you, hey, why are you doing yeah. that? Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, maybe there's more he could have done. But then you fast forward a little bit to chapter 8. When you think of Samuel, he's basically the same generation as Eli's son, actually younger. And now he's experiencing the situation Verse 2, he had, he had two sons, Joel and Abiah. And it says, they were judges in Beersheba. 
And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So I guess by reading that, it kind of sounds like he established them as judges. And maybe they did start off okay. Mm. Maybe, maybe they were all right. But it says they turned aside after lucre and took bribes. They didn't have the same integrity that their dad had. They didn't have the same discipline that Samuel had and the hmm. next generation because of this. When you look at the, the scope of judges ending and then the rise of kingdom, right? When The rise of Saul. Mm-hmm. If you look at that, if it wasn't for these two men's sons, the picture would have looked totally different. Because check this out in chapter 8, in verse 4, the elders of Israel gathered themselves together. Like, this thing wasn't, you know, under a rock. This was pretty well known. And the elders, they said, look, in verse 5, they said unto Samuel, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Thou makest a king to judge us like all the nations. Because their sons were so wicked and, and... they were disappointing, especially when their judgments were biased towards whoever was given mm-hmm. the money. The elders that respected Samuel definitely did not have the same respect for his sons. And then that's when, of course, they, they said, give us a king, give us a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations. It's so interesting that how different generations and what you instill in the next generation can shape not only your family's destiny, but also the destiny right. of an entire nation. Yes. I know, Joe, you had something there about really point, really looking at Samuel, but this could even be pointed to a, at Eli about, you know, passing on ruling to the son of, you know, a person. This It's something similar with, like, pastorates and stuff like that. You know, we, we hear it often, you know, sadly, it's often, but how a, a man mm. of God... Um, powerful man of God has this you know, has this really great church. You know he's leading these people in a godly way, and then he he puts it in his heart that his son is going to pastor after him, and so he puts his son in as pastor. But his son doesn't have the same standards, and that church ends up falling mm-hmm. to the wayside because of it. You know, yeah. It, no, that's seen it multiple sad. times. Um, you know, sometimes it, it works out yeah. really great. I think it's a great thing if you know if the son has the same heart as dad has. You know, it, it it can be a great thing. But I think just assuming, you know, assuming that role to the next generation uh, d- obviously doesn't work. Um, you know, it just doesn't work. And another thing I'd like to point yeah. out is, <clears throat> even right. though the Bible says they perverted judgment. Even with that, when they demanded a king, and and this the Bible says that this pleased Samuel, dis it displeased Samuel, and Samuel prayed unto the mm-hmm. Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Even though the the these judges perverted judgment god still held the children of israel accountable in the sense of like you rejected me mm-hmm. w- when you wanted a king and i found that interesting and you know i think that uh, yeah you know when we let's say that That's there point. is someone that um 
that perverts judgment. Or let's say that, you know, now the, the new pastor um, perverts judgment. I'm not saying you have to stay in that church. I mean, if he's not, you know, I'm not saying that at all. You still have, you can't reject God and all of it. You know, you can't reject a pastor because yeah. sometimes people get hurt. Yeah. By, maybe, yeah. maybe there's a bad preacher. And I think a lot of times people need to have mercy on preachers too. You know, have a little grace. Let's say that there is a bad one. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean that all pastors are bad and that you should not have a judge. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I know it's a little bit different. Right. A judge and, yeah. and a pastor is a little bit different. But, you know, I think we can we can apply that in that sense. No, I, I, I kind of think that they'd be the same. I mean, both of them are, right. you know, your pastor isn't a king. He isn't, <coughs> you know, he's not the one ruling over you, but he is a as it were, a messenger, you know, somebody who is who is judging between right and wrong in the congregation on behalf of God. So, I mean, yeah, a pastor, sure. in this case, would be kind of a judge. Sure. That's good. Another thing I want to point out, I guess, is just because somebody has bad sons, right. you know, it, it doesn't mean that they've failed mm-hmm. God. Because Samuel is still a revered uh, judge, you know, a revered prophet and um, respected elder and mentor to to the Israelites, and, and I think often at times we tend to look down upon men of God if if maybe their their kids somehow uh, veer off course. But th- you know that can happen to mm-hmm. anybody. People make their own decisions. People are adults, yeah. and right. unfortunately, not everybody. Yeah, I think that's a great decides point, to serve Anthony. the Lord. Even though the Bible, you know, we fully believe in. Parents having, you know, ruling their house well. But there's going to be times when even the pastor's kid's going to do something yeah. stupid. That doesn't mean that the pastor's yeah. bad. Or, <laughs> it just means that, that the pastor's kid is a human, just like the pastor's a human, too. <laughs> you know, so so absolutely, I think that yeah. was a great point. Anthony. Right, yep. Well, listener, that wraps it up for today. Uh, was there something that we didn't cover that jumped out to you in your reading? Or do you have any words of advice or encouragement you can let us know by sending us a voice message through Anchor FM or through our Scripture Unleashed Facebook page. Now, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we look forward to having you with us next week as we go through 1 Samuel chapters 13 through 31 and Psalms chapters 55 through 57. God bless. God bless you. God bless. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.